This is the art of charm. Learn everything you need to know to crush it in business, love, and life. The art of charm is where ordinary guys become extraordinary men. Welcome to The Art of Charm, I'm Jordan Harbinger. The Art of Charm brings together the best minds in the industry to teach you how to crush it in life, love, and at work. Imagine having a mix of experienced mentors teaching you their expertise and packing decades of research, testing, and tough lessons into a concise curriculum. We've created one of the premier lifestyle programs available anywhere, and it's free. This is the show we wish we had a decade ago. The show is about you, and we're here to help you become the best you can be in every area of your life. Make sure to stay up to date with everything going on here and get some great content and free products and books that we don't or can't share on the show by signing up for the newsletter at theartofcharm.com. And if you're new to the show but you want to know more about what we teach here at AOC, especially during our live programs here in L.A., check out the toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. That's where you'll get the fundamentals such as body language, eye contact, vocal tonality, dating attraction, business networking, negotiation, relationship management, and all the stuff we wish we'd learned and mastered years ago. We've got our live programs running every single week here in Los Angeles, California. Details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp, or give us a call here in the office at 888-413-7177, or you can even email me, jordan at theartofcharm.com. I read everything, and I'm looking forward to meeting you all here at AOC. Today we're talking with my friend Neville Medora. He's a fun dude, as you'll hear. This is a random kind of ep, but we talk a lot about crashing parties, how to get really good at it, and why you should be doing it, even if you think it's just a childish stunt, which it kind of is. And negotiating your rent as well comes into play here. Uh, basically, a fun show where we talk a lot about social dynamics, persuasion skills, etc. It's uh, easier for you to listen than for me to explain, so enjoy. You're an interesting dude. You know, we actually met at, what, HustleCon back in the day? HustleCon, yeah. That's right. Yeah, and you had a funny talk, and I was like, look at this copywriter version of Aziz Ansari kind of, <laughs> like, internet marketer Aziz Ansari. Thank you. I appreciate that. I like Aziz. Well, you started your first money-making business, something called House of Rave, in high school, and you've been doing the entrepreneur thing for a long time. What is House of Rave? That sounds... House of Raven's company I no longer own. I sold it in 2011 of October, but uh, someone else runs it, does a horrible job at it. So you can check it out, houseofrave.com. It was, at the time, the largest online like rave store. And basically, I drop shipped light up and glow stuff. So if you wanted some glow sticks or like a disco ball, you would type that in Google and my site would pop up and you would buy it. That's the basic stuff. We sold light up and glow stuff. And the odd thing was, at first I thought it was for 16-year-old ravers. I thought that was the target audience. Then I realized later, because I was stupid and learned this later in life, Right. 16-year-old ravers don't have money. Yeah, they don't have anything. They're broke, have no jobs, and their parents' credit card is their only outlet. Right. So what I realized where the big money would come from is wedding planners and 35-year-old moms throwing parties that need bubble machines for their kids' party. That was the big money maker, actually, for House of Rave. So you turned from House of Rave to like, House of have a party for your six-year-old daughter. Exactly. Nice. <laughs> and the weird thing is I actually tried branching off. I started a, a website called bodymonkey.com. I just, I don't know why, but that was it. And I, it was like more towards those moms and everything, like a softer version. And it totally failed. Like it just did not do well. How weird is that? I mean, it just had to do with like the SEO and how House of Rave was, you know, trafficked or something like that. Or I would feel a lot of the support calls and you could hear these moms talk about like, they're just like, I want to throw my three-year-old daughter like a rave party. You know, like they thought they're being cool like that. You know, you know how there's like suburban mom in like bumfuck Ohio, right? So she's like, well, it's like a, like a rave. They got those lights and stuff. And, and like, that's how they would talk. And I'd be like, oh, they think it's like cool that they're ordering from this site, I guess. <laughs> right. And they're looking for it. So it's coming up as like, hey, this is rave gear. Oh, this is what I'm looking for. The bubble thing. Yeah. Well, and I could also take pictures of like lights and stuff like that and make them do it. So instead of just showing them at a wedding, kind of boring stuff, I could also show someone like raving with them and taking a little time exposure. So it looks like all the trails of light. So the products look super damn cool on the website compared to like some like, you know, wholesalers selling wedding invitation lights or some crap like that. Interesting. Now our, our branding is more like charm, right? So people are like, hey, this is really cool. I want to come. I'm, you know, I'm a 56 year old woman. And it's like, oh, you know, I, I'd love to be able to capitalize on that. And so we finally, you know, we refer people to similar coaches. But yeah, the branding is always, it's hard to change the brand, body monkey. In the meantime, speaking of weird brands, you started building 
with Noah Kagan at Sumo and help building that. Yeah, Noah started at Sumo, and that was kind of when he moved to Austin for like the second or third time. And he was kind of just working off my couch. He would come over to my place. He was working off my couch. He had built AppSumo to like 50,000 emails by that time, which Noah's like, you know, number 30 at Facebook and stuff. He's really good at that stuff. So for him, that's nothing. And he was sending out these emails and it'd be like, hey, we have grasshopper.com deal, $25 for $100 credit. And people were buying it. And even I was buying a lot of the deals from AppSumo, even in its early days. And I was like, dude, your emails blow ass. And it was about that time I was studying copywriting. So I was reading Gary Halbert, David Ogilvy, you know, like the original Mad Men, all those kind of guys, Joseph Sugarman. I was obsessively studying copywriting. And I had started sending out for House of Rave to the House of Rave email list, well-written, copywritten emails. Whereas before I was making no money on the emails, that quickly became like my primary source of income, the email list. And it was really fast, the shift. And so I told Noah, I was like, look, let me try writing one of these AppSumo emails. And he was really hesitant. He didn't want to send like a long three-page email. He didn't like any of that stuff. So I was like, okay, just let's just try it. So we sent out a thing called Kernist, which was a, a font deal, okay? This guy named Kernist pairs fonts together and sends you three pairs per month. And I was like, this is the nerdiest deal ever. That's so nerdy. I was going to say, people pay for that? That is so nerdy, right? So I didn't want to be like, you should totally buy fonts because this is like, this is for a very specific nerdy ass designer. Oh, yeah. This is not for the guy who's a coder who doesn't give a shit what the site looks like. This is so not for him. So I said that right up front. So I said something along these lines. And it was like, unless I whisper the words Verdana in your ear and you get a boner, <laughs> don't read this email. And of course, what does everyone do? They, they read it. They're like, well, I'm not, maybe that's not me, but I'm so reading this email anyway. Well, it, it's, it's like the type of email that, especially at the time, it was kind of groundbreaking. Uh, it's like, it would make you spit out your coffee if you read that. Uh, you're just boring email, boring email. Verdana gives you a boner. Like, that's such a nerdy joke too, right? Yes. I was like, if you appreciate the curves on Garamond's body, you know, like, unless you know fonts, like, you're not going to understand any of these damn jokes. We started writing emails like that. And what do you know? It was the first $10,000 day AppSumo had, like $10,000 profit day. Damn. Yeah. And nice. So, so me and Noah were both like, wow, that fucking worked well. Um, but let's see if it's a fluke, because maybe it's a fluke, right? Yeah, absolutely. So I wrote another one and another one and another one. And well, long story short, it was not a fluke. Like people really, really, really liked that style of email. It was fun. It was educational. I got to like bring my kind of like experiences, like, you know, being a little business owner and stuff into it. It was awesome. And I got to write under the guise of this, like a fat 512 pound sumo because we lost in uh, area code 512 uh, that, that I kind of made up. I kind of made up all these words like sumo link, stuff like that. And people just loved the tone of AppSumo. And soon enough, people were just buying like every deal because they, they loved them so much, which is good and bad. But yeah, that's how AppSumo originally got its style. Well, you can't beat that. That's so funny because Noah is such a kind of a weird dude. So the fact that he was like, I don't want to do that is surprising. No, he was scared. He got nervous. Like how often have you seen Noah nervous? He gets nervous sending out emails. I mean, not anymore, but back then for sure. He didn't like it. He didn't like sending out the emails. And now your words have been featured in hundreds of thousands of emails. Oh, probably like hundreds of millions of emails. Oh, really? Yeah, copywritingcourse.com. Yeah, I mean, if you look at the scale of AppSumo alone and then like the people I've helped and stuff like that, yeah. Yeah, actually, that makes total sense because that AppSumo is obviously massive now as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. I didn't ex intend for this to go into the copywriting direction, but I just kind of think branding and stuff is fun. Dude, I mean, copywriting is like the number one skill I've probably learned in my life because it applies, you, you know that it applies to a lot of other things. Not just like, oh, writing some emails. It's way more immersive than that. Well, so It also applies to the way that you, and you in particular, I should say, talk. You've used your words, your smooth tongue, your smooth Aziz Ansari tongue, to crash some serious parties and do some really cool stuff. Yeah, and, and sometimes you don't even need words. Like, my stuff is called copywriting with a K, because I think copywriting is ascribed for, like, words on a page. Well, I don't agree that text is the, the best communicator of information all the time. Sometimes it is. And sometimes it's not. So with crashing parties and stuff that we're going to get into, a lot of times your nonverbal stuff is the most powerful. Like if you say stuff, you actually get in more trouble than not saying stuff. What do you mean? So like whenever you're walking into a party, a lot of people are just like, what's my alibi? What am I going to tell them? It's specifically, if you try to crash a party with a girl or someone who's kind of nervous about doing it. Oh, yeah. They'll yeah. always be like, what's my alibi? 
like what pickup artists always say. There's like the first three seconds you have to go approach, right? Otherwise, guys think of like, what's the perfect thing to say to this girl? And they psych themselves out. Right. Instead, if you just walk by the fucking bouncer, he probably won't say anything. You know, it's like, and you're on your phone and you don't say anything and you walk in in a hurry like you belong in the party. You didn't say a word, but you got in. Whereas if you went up to the bouncer and try to spit some like, hey, I'm, I'm a guest of the blah, 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 like he's probably going to call bullshit on you. In those cases, it's best just not to talk. Yeah. Oh, I see what you mean. Okay, cool. Obviously, Wedding Crashers, huge movie. Crashing Party is really fun idea. Most people never have the balls to actually go and do it. Most people never really think about doing it. And I used to do this a lot. I think it's really fun. You know, I would see these crazy events like on Wall Street, and I'd go home, change into a really nice suit with some of my other sort of like screwball friends. And we would, especially the ones that could like speak other languages, and we would just walk in like muttering in fake Italian. Like, with our arms linked, like, only, you know, Italian weirdos, like, do that, you know? Dude, I gotta tell you, I was telling some people about some of these parties uh, the other day. I don't need to crash as many parties as I did then. Before college student, I wanted to mingle with rich people. I had to crash parties. That was my only in. Now it's got a cool network of friends, etc. <laughs> yeah, you're like, this isn't fun. I actually got invited. Yeah, dude, it's serious. You meet so many less people when you have no pressure on you. When there's fire behind your ass, you know no one, and you go in alone, and you're the small Indian kid in the room, and everyone's tall and white, um, you really have to, like, make an impression. Like, you really have some fire in your ass. Right, and you want to make friends with people so that if anything ever happens, they're like, no, he's with us, he's cool, and you're not just, like, standing in the corner, right? We'll totally get into that, and it works so well. But here's one thing I still do to this day. If I'm at a hotel and have a request for something, I speak in a British accent. I swear to God, almost every time. Really? Yeah, so I'm like, uh, excuse me, uh, is there any way? I, I I, mean, we do have four people in our room. I was just wondering if we could get an upgrade. Is there anything that you perhaps maybe have? You know, it's just been a long flight or whatever. Um, um, if not, it's totally cool. And, and for some reason, the British accent, in, in America at least, somehow really like goes a long way. Yeah, it carries subconscious authority because we're used to at least 80s kids grew up looking at Brits and being like, these are professors and they smoke pipes. Yeah, and you also kind of want to help someone from out of town. And and I go for like the befuddled you Grant kind of look, you know, like very polite, not demanding anything, but like if you could do it, it'd be totally awesome. And like kind of thing. Me and these three prostitutes are all crammed in here. <laughs> It's, it's funny because they're like oh can i just see your id to make sure you're the right room and i pull out like my texas driver's license <laughs> they're just like texas i'm like yeah when i moved whenever i was 16 <laughs> wow kind of funny. yeah yeah and i picked up an amazing accent and when you checked in sir you didn't really have this accent are you gonna upgrade the room or not <laughs> you know like I love it. I do it all the time. being nice is the best thing ever too especially with crashing parties don't be mean all right perfect well don't be mean is a great place to start, of course, because a lot of people, what they try to do, especially they try to go Hollywood, like, I'm getting in here. Do you have any idea who I am? You're going to get in trouble. And the bouncer's like, a good bouncer who's not new will be like, I will never get in trouble for not letting in somebody who seems like they're full of crap. Unless it's like the owner of the venue who's not waiting in the front of the place anyway because they have the keys. <laughs> yeah, basically, if, unless they have the keys and they're going in the back, I can stop anyone at this door. And if someone doesn't come in to get them, I will never get in trouble for not letting them in. And I'm speaking from five years of bouncer experience myself. You would never get in trouble for not letting someone in who's trying to get through the front door. Never. No one's that important who waits there. Well, the, the meanest I think you have to be is you have to psych up yourself. And I guess you can maybe say the easy way to say this would be like arrogant, like you belong in the place. But you don't necessarily berate a bouncer because, uh, come on, like, you know, most bouncer types, if you've been a bouncer, if you talk shit to them, like, they're going to stand up and, like, want to look hard back. Exactly. That's just mean. Like, you're, you're making someone's job a lot harder. Like, that's just kind of douchey. Instead, if you're confident and walk in maybe kind of right past the bouncer, let him stop you first. But sometimes they just won't even do it. Yeah, now, of course, especially because... A lot of times if you look the part or they feel like they've seen you before, I've definitely done this myself when sort of party crashing or venue crashing is you'll walk in and go, hey, boss, how's it going? And you're just kind of like give him a look and a smile. Hey, boss, thanks. They'll like, oh, yeah, hold on. And they'll hold the door for you. And they're just kind of like you can tell they're kind of like I've seen you. Right. Meanwhile, you're just like hustling in and or if you're carrying something like if you push a big box in any door, people will hold the door for you, even if you're so you're totally not supposed to be there. 
Well, let me tell people first that whenever you're crashing, let's say like I'm talking about like charity events, high end parties. These are not going to be held at a club, right? right? Where there's like a tiny door and three gigantic black guys with sunglasses on at night for some reason right. that are trying to keep your ass out. It's going to be at the Four Seasons. There's going to be tourists in the lobby and like a few feet away or downstairs, there's going to be some big ballroom. And there's going to be um, some 18 year old that gets paid, you know, eight bucks an hour to put blue wristbands on people. Right. Check IDs, wristband. Yeah. Exactly. And, and there may be a security guard or two, but there's no like police or anything like that. You're not doing anything illegal, even if you run right in the party. Like technically, that's, you're not doing anything illegal. The security is there to be nice to you, to check you into this event. It's not like this isn't the TSA like line at the airport, right? Right. Um, where you make a joke and you can go to jail. This is totally separate. You can act confident and go in. It's not a big deal. And so uh, I'd say step one is like kind of like step one is finding the parties. But let's assume you found out of a cool party. Step two is if you just look the part, that goes a long way. Like if someone's wearing a nice suit or the best is a tuxedo for guys, you can never be too dressed up. And so if you wear a tuxedo, you could literally get in anywhere. I think you will look the part. So if you have a tuxedo on, what I always suggest is like saving wristbands from concerts and yes, stuff like that. Yes. Or going to Office Max and buying a bunch because you could buy them for like two bucks and bringing like a blue and a green and a pink one into a party. If it looks like you have a, a tuxedo and a blue wristband on, you kind of look like you've been in the party already. Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge. They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life. But if you're an entrepreneur, you know the hard work that comes with it. That's why you need Kajabi. Kajabi makes it easy to run your entire online business from one platform so you can focus on what you love, creating. Kajabi is the ultimate all-in-one platform that helps creators and entrepreneurs build successful online businesses by unlocking predictable recurring revenue. No matter your niche, Kajabi makes it easy to turn your skills, passions, and experiences into enriching online courses, exclusive membership sites, subscription podcasts, thriving communities, personalized coaching, and more. The best part? Kajabi doesn't cut into your revenue because everything is owned and controlled by you. So keep 100% of what you earn. And with Kajabi, you also get robust analytics, easy payment options, email marketing tools, and customizable website templates all built in. You don't even need a huge audience to make sustainable income. There are thousands of creators on Kajabi making six and seven figures with less than 50,000 followers. Right now, Kajabi is offering a free 30-day trial to start your business if you go to kajabi.com charm. That's K-A-J-A-B-I dot com slash charm. Go to kajabi.com slash charm and join the creators and entrepreneurs who have made over $7 billion. Now, back to the show. Yeah, you know, the psychology of the tuxedo is interesting because since no one ever goes out in one without the intent to go to a black tie event, uh -huh. the subconscious psychology is what? Either you're supposed to be here or you dressed up in a tuxedo, put on a random wristband, and now you're walking in here, but you're also being nice about it, not sketch at all, and I lose pretty much nothing from looking the other way. Well, I bought a tuxedo to crash parties because originally I didn't have any good clothes. And we go out on like 6th Street here in Austin with friends, you know, when you're like younger, and we'd have like an inside out clothes day or like everyone has to wear a funny costume, something. Sometimes I would wear a tuxedo, and it was weird that just the reactions of walking around a street where people are typically dressed to party in black tie outfit, you get like at least 10 times more compliments or comments from people, right? It's like you're a hot girl, all of a sudden everyone's talking to you, whereas normally no one will say anything unless I say something first. And everyone's like, dude, you look like a million bucks. Like, were you just at a wedding, blah, blah, blah. You get all these comments because it's so rare to wear a tuxedo that people almost just don't question your actions if you just try to walk in a bar or something like that. Nice. Tell us about some of the events that you actually did crash. The first one I ever did was kind of cool because it was a private event with Elton John. It was, I think, an Andy Roddick Charity Foundation fundraiser or something. And I didn't have any good clothes. I had big khaki pants and a black shirt. And it's funny because I thought like, man, I look like one of the help or something like that. And actually, the help was dressed better than I was. Yeah, because they had tuxedos on. I did not. And so I was like literally the worst dressed one in the party. That's not even a joke because everyone's in tuxedos and gowns and stuff. And I walk in and I just, I just barged past 
everyone, like in the, in the checkout area, everyone stopped to check their name and stuff. I put my phone up to my ear and walked past it. And I was like, oh shit, like I'm in, like that was it. I was like, it was almost too easy, right? And so no one questioned me whatsoever. And then I've also, cra- I think one of the coolest ones that crashed was the World Congress of Information Technology in 2007. And I sat next to Michael Dell for 30 minutes. Wow. And we chatted. And then uh, I also got to meet the prime minister of Malaysia. <laughs> okay. I got to stand up in front of a press conference and shake his hand and get a picture with my personal camera. This is pre-cell phone stuff, really. Wow. Yeah. And because I had a press badge that I found. Yeah. And and I asked, and I didn't dare go up to the press. He had so many bodyguards around. I didn't dare just like walk up to him and be like, hey, tell you take a picture. I asked his aide, I was like, hey, would you mind if I take a picture? And this is a personal picture, not for my newspaper. I pretended I was in a newspaper or something. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure. And he walked me up there, took a picture and everything. And it was, it was fantastic. And then I've also just crashed a bunch of like smaller charity events. The point wasn't to go drink free booze and eat free dinner, although that's part of it. But it was to meet rich people. That was my goal back then, to meet rich people and like mingle with them. I mean, you're, you're the composite average of the top five people you hang out with. Everyone's heard that. Yeah. And if you don't have any rich friends, well, then it's harder. So I would go meet like rich older guys and talk with them and set up lunches and stuff like that. And that's how I like started growing my network. So you started, I mean, it's it, Michael Dell thing is so random. I mean, you, well, because I had seen him speak at UT, uh, University of Texas. He spoke at some like, you know, kind of, it's kind of like a little boring speech. They asked him easy questions and stuff like that. And there was some like random uh, Chinese woman who stood up and had this really awkward, long question, had to kick her off the microphone. It was like kind of a funny thing. And I was like, hey, Michael, I saw you last weekend, man, that lady. And I made some remark about it. And he just started cracking up because he remembered that. And like, obviously no one else, but whoever was in the audience would have seen that. He was like, hey, I'm about to sit down. So we ended up just like chatting and sitting. I watched some presentations with them and stuff. So total chat time was probably five minutes. But at the same time, that was kind of like a, oh, I sat next to Michael Dell. And then at some other uh, fundraiser, I sat at like Lance Armstrong's table, which I thought was cool. This was like pre-scandal. And with uh, the mayor of Austin, uh, Elton John, like that's kind of cool stuff, right? Especially when you're not invited. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, that's amazing. I mean, yes, there's like the act like you belong there. That's like the common one that people think is a secret, but is really like the obvious one that it's something that needs to be fleshed out a little bit. Well, there's, there's getting into the party and then there's like getting what you want out of the party. Yes, exactly. So, believe it or not, 60 Minutes called me to do a segment on wedding crashing after that like movie was really, really big. And I didn't want to do it because they were portraying it as I go to weddings to get free booze or something like that, right? Yeah, it was like a stupid angle. That's not even true. Yeah, and I was like, and I, I told my mom about it. She was like, is that really what you want to be like known as? And I was like, that's not why I do this. Like, I mean, that's fun, but like, that's not the reason. And then they had a, uh, they tried to pitch a reality show where I would crash parties like Snoop Dogg and stuff. And I would teach people to sneak into like celebrities parties and like eat cake and like for steal booze and whatever. And I was like, that doesn't gain anything. In fact, I feel like that's just kind of like sneaking in and stealing a little bit. Yeah, it is. It's stealing. And it's all, it also cheapens the whole thing. Cause yeah. meanwhile, you're trying to expand your network and get access to people that you haven't really been able to earn access to by virtue of the fact that you're young and ambitious, but don't have the network yet. Like this is a stepping stone for you. It's the difference between somebody, you know, stealing food because they got a starving family and somebody stealing an electronic device from a store because they want it. Yeah, exactly. And that's not the message I was trying to send across. And also the the whole reality TV show thing is fake. Like they have like cameras following the guy sneaking in like realistically. Like nobody noticed that? Well, the first challenge they were going to have me do was sneaking into a Snoop Dogg party. And I was like, does Snoop Dogg know about this? And he's like, yeah, he's all like, he knows about it. I'm like, well, then you're not really sneaking into the, it's like, it's fake, right? So yeah, you want me to have like a fake TV show. And I was like, that's not interesting. No. The the main part is getting in and making friends. And I would say the number one thing is going by yourself. So everyone kind of pusses out and invites friends to do it with them. Yes. And I've done it with friends, but these friends are also like awesome entrepreneurs. They're not going to stick with you the whole time, right? Right. It's useful sometimes to like bump into each other at the party and be like, oh my God, what's up, man? Good to see you. Like, like you just met each other there. But like, if you stick to each other, then you're just going to like wuss out and just hang around each other and not really meet anyone cool. Right. Yeah. You're going to stay in your comfort zone. And what likely happens is you invite someone and they go, 
Uh, yeah, are we really doing this? Uh, yeah, I guess, you know, I just need to shower. Okay, well, I'll wait for you, and then you do that, and then you're like, well, I was thinking about it, and they're like, yeah, you know, my friend's having people over, and then you end up playing Xbox at someone's house, and it's like, yeah, we were gonna crash this party, and then we were like, nah, that happens all the time. I would do it myself, and, and like, you do get cold feet before you're going in sometimes, but then right when you do it, it's just like, you just fucking charge, and go in, and see what happens, and... Most of the time, it's a lighthearted event. There's like some 50-year-old woman's like, hey, welcome, blah, blah, blah. And let's say she catches you going in or whatever. So do you have a name tag? And I was like, hey, I signed up really late. I, I was one of those last minute people. Almost every time, I don't know why, but they have like a printout that was printed out 48 hours ago. Yeah. And anyone in the last like 24 hours like is not on the list. You know what, hon? Let me just make you an ID badge real quick. Because if you show up to the Four Seasons in a goddamn tuxedo, they probably think you're there for the party. Yeah. This isn't super tight, secure. You're not meeting the president. You're just going to a party. So you go in and with like a name tag that they made with a Sharpie. So it totally looks like you belong now because like someone wrote it out and like, it's just easy like that. So then you go in and here's the next biggest part, I'd say. It's meeting people immediately because if you don't belong, then you're going to be like stuck by yourself sitting and, you know, texting on the phone and that looks kind of loserish and then it makes you feel loserish and then you're just going to leave the party because you feel weird and then you just leave, right? Yeah, you're like, there's no value for me to be here risking a trespassing citation when I'm just texting. So nowadays I'm a little more comfortable as you grow older, you get a little more comfortable with yourself and learn social dynamics a little bit better. I think back then I was not as good. And so what I would do, and and I would also feel self-conscious that like I wasn't dressed as well as people and I didn't know anyone. So what I would do is I go to the bar line and there's typically a bar, uh, whether free or cash, I don't know, usually it's free at a a nice event. And um, I would stand at a bar line behind someone. And this was like my pickup line for men is what I call it. Like my pickup line for other men. Yeah, your conversation starter. Yeah, exactly. And and it would be my standard dumb one. And it doesn't matter how dumb, it just starts the conversation. That's like 95% of it, right? Right. And so the guy behind me, I'd be like, oh, damn, five more people. I want my booze now. Like he'd chuckle or something. I'd be like, hey, I'm Neville. Um, Hey, I'm John. And, And bam, you're in a conversation. And I would literally go do that, get a drink, take a lap around if I'm not talking to that guy still, and then go back in the line and do it again. <laughs> or like go to the other line and do it again, because that was the easiest way for me to make friends that were standing by themselves and not like in a big group, which I was afraid to like just crack into, right? Right, because you're standing there until you get your drink, so you're they're not going to be like, well, it was good meeting you, and then just turn around and not talk to you anymore. That would yeah, be weird. yeah. So you're huh. chatting for the 15 minutes or, or longer that sometimes these lines can take. Well, you're chatting. And then usually what happens is if it's a small event of 200 people, a lot of these people know each other. So I'm talking to John and then John sees Bill and is like, hey, Bill, come get a drink with me, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, hey, Bill, meet Neville. Now, he, this Bill guy thinks like I'm like someone because I'm at this party and, and John introduced me. So now I've got John and Bill and me are all in a conversation. And then from there, it, as you can see, it just kind of like exponentially branches out from there. And then Bill sees someone he knows and then he gets introduced. And I would make it a point to remember everyone's name because normally I'm kind of forgetful. So I would either make like a funny moniker like Bill Jill, like some dumb like rhyme, or I would say their name many times through conversation. Hey, Bill, good to see you, man. Like, dude, Bill, love the tie. And that would help me remember their names. So later I can like, in crossing, see them and be like, Hey, Bill, what's up? What's going on? Did your wife arrive yet? Blah, blah, blah. So now it looks like I have friends. Like I'm talking to people. If anyone's eyeing me like planner, uh, like party planner is like, I know all the people here. Who is this random Indian dude? Mm-hmm. And I'm talking in vigorous conversation with all these people. They're just like, well, I mean, he must belong. Yeah. And they have other things to do than try to track down the one uninvited guest that everyone likes anyway. Yeah. So, so it's, I'm not causing problems. Everyone's talking to me. It seems like I'm integrating in the group. Like I'm not just like some random guy, like in the corner, kind of creepily creeping everyone out on his phone. Yeah. Creeping out the chicks and stuff like that, or like pocketing the centerpieces. Yeah. So clearly like I belong. And so they would just drop it. It's honestly a lot more fun when you get to like meet new people all the time. And this is where if you're with someone who's not used to crashing parties or is there just to crash a party and get free booze or something like that, I've learned that those people generally don't have the desire to meet other people. And so they kind of like cling to you and they're just like, hey, let's just talk together and look like we are talking about something. And it's like then the whole party crashing thing is a waste, right? Yeah, it's a waste. Yeah, it's it's better just to, it's cheaper than a no trespassing or whatever citation 
to just buy your own crappy booze. You saved $30 on food and you got a free meal for the night. Congratulations. But that's all you got. Right. And it was all stressful and everything. <laughs> yeah. That kind of like mentality has applied to a lot of things, especially getting in part is kind of like even like during South by Southwest or some like big festival or something where you just can't get in. If you keep putting pressure on the person and being nice to them and saying, like, hey, we're looking to get in, kind of hang around uh, to where it's a little awkward sometimes, they'll sometimes just be like, hey, man, just, just go in right now. And you'll be like, okay, cool. This is, yeah, because you're nice to them. Right. So getting in and then uh, making the most of it while you're there is pretty important. Let, let me tell people my, my number one fail-proof trick to getting in. Yeah, I love this. Like, th this works so well. So what you do, if you really want to come prepared or if you're really kind of wussing out about this and you just want to make this easier on yourself, Let's say you're going to a black tie event or any, any event. Dress really nice, first of all, right? Preferably wear some sort of lanyard under your coat. So let's say I'm wearing a, a tuxedo coat or a suit coat. Wear some sort of lanyard that you've got with like, you know, a purple strap, black strap, doesn't really matter, or a little like a wristband or something that they could sort of see poking out your coat. Then you also bring a wine glass and you can get them for a dollar piece at Walmart and bring a flask of wine or whatever drink, preferably some sort of red wine, and then bring a cocktail napkin. So all of these things are virtually free. You've spent like zero, like zero dollars. Too bad they don't make red whiskey. <laughs> you can totally, you can put anything. No one's going to be like, hey, the hue of your glass doesn't look like the wine we're serving. Like no one's ever going to say that. Right. But they might be like, it looks like you're drinking whiskey out of a wine glass, bruh. No, then you'd be like, yeah, fucker, I'm hard. Damn right. You want some? Yeah. What are you drinking? Wine? What's ass? And so like, yeah, you pour some of that in before you get to the party. Wrap the cocktail napkin around the glass, whatever. I think wine glass just has the best effect. And so you have a cocktail napkin, a wine glass, and a wine glass with wine in it, okay? And you're wearing a tuxedo. And now you're about to approach the entrance and you're on your phone in vigorous conversation talking about something. So you're talking to no one, but you're talking about something. And you just walk past the security. Who in the hell is going to stop you when you're on the phone with a wine glass in your hand with wine in it? Um, it looks like you're out for a smoke break or like went to your car to get something or you're outside for whatever reason getting a friend. You totally so look like you belong inside of this party that almost no one will stop you. And if they do stop you, I just kind of like either keep walking or I glance at them and kind of like point at my phone. Like, hey, one second, you know, just like one second and just keep walking and they don't say anything. And they're just like, well, I guess he belongs inside, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, the best part is if you're out on the street to get into a venue and you have this, they will make damn sure you get in as fast as you can. They'll be like, why? Do, how are you outside with a drink? Get in there. Get back in there. Oh, yeah, true. I never even thought about that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Because it's because what they're thinking is you walked past one of their security guys with a drink. And if you get caught outside, the venue gets cited. So let me explain some other crash. So that's the number one thing to getting in. Now, here's what happens if, like, let's say there's a party, it's packed past, I'll, I'll give you like a real example, we're in South by Southwest, and you know, a lot of the parties get so packed that it's past the fire code, right? And so there's like some sort of like, I don't know, like Jay-Z, like some awesome thing we're trying to go into, uh, me and my buddy, and my buddy worked at Microsoft, and Microsoft was throwing the party. He couldn't get in as like a VIP, because they're just like, look, dude, like, it is so crowded that the fire security department, whatever, is standing right there counting people going in. We literally cannot let anyone in. And there's a huge line, and we're just like, fuck, we got Bill Gates is right behind you trying to get into the Microsoft yeah, party. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. Uh, but, but anyway, so they're not letting anyone in. So we're like, this is at the W Hotel, and we're like, well, I'm sure we could find a back entrance through like the, the convention hall or something. So we go up a couple floors, find out that there's a convention hall, and they're packing everything up. There's nothing going on there. And this big black guy comes up to us. He's like, hey, man, uh, we can't let you in. And so I'm a little better at crashing parties. So my friend was like, hey, you know, I'm working for Microsoft. They told us to come back here. And he's like, hey, man, look, they told me I can't let anyone, you know, sorry, man. So don't be a douchebag to him. You'd be nice. You'd be like, hey, man, dude, really appreciate that. Sorry for inconveniencing. What was your name? And he's like, uh, Cedric. And they're like, uh, Cedric what? And he's Cedric uh, Jones, whatever. And we're like, all right, cool, man. Nice to meet you, Neville Medora. Cool. And that's it. So then we try the other side of the convention hall. And there's another bouncer. And he's just like, hey, man, I can't let you in. And we're just like, yo, uh, Cedric told us to come over here, go through your way, because he can't let anyone in, but they're supposed to go that way. And he's like, Cedric who? And we're like, Cedric Jones over there. And the guy's like, oh, he knows the bouncer's first and last name. Who the fuck else knows the first and last name of the bouncer except someone who's probably supposed to be inside? So he's like, okay, man, but like, you know, we'll just go talk to Jamie up there or whatever. So we're like, okay, what's your name? So he's like, Bob Jones. I don't know, whatever. Bob Chris Smith. 
And so we're like, cool, Neville Medora, nice to meet you. So now we're just like, hey, are you Jamie? And she's like, yeah. And we're like, hey, Chris told us to come talk to you. And she's like, oh, Chris said come talk to me? Like, yeah. He's like, he just said, just go in, like, you'll you'll hook us up. And she's like, okay, well, if Chris said it, like, you know, like, so now we know Chris, we know Bob, we know all these, uh, Jamie, like, we know everyone on the inside. And it really seems like we're supposed to be inside. We're being very courteous, very nice. And almost all the time, that works. Interesting. Yeah. So you're essentially using like fake social capital yes. by dropping the name. Yeah. That's a nice way to phrase it. Yes. Yeah. But you get everyone's first and last name and it looks like you know everyone all of a sudden. I used to do the whole like fake journalist thing, you know, a decade ago when they were like, sorry, you're not on the list. I can't let you in. I'd go, that's cool. Um, what's your name? And they'll be like, Jamie. Okay, Jamie, I just want to make sure I know who to tell. I'm just going to go back to my hotel. I'm tired. I just got off a flight from New York. I'm cool not coming in and not writing about this. I just don't want them to you know, get me in trouble. So I'm just going to say, like, Jamie said I'm not on the list, and so I'm going to head back. And they're like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> I'm not going down in a blaze of unglorious fire because you're <laughs> like, Jamie wouldn't let me in because you're not on the list that I probably was supposed to put you on. Hang on one second. There's a venue that I can't name because I'm friends with the owner now, and I haven't told him this story. Me and AJ walked by, saw a huge line, and in 47 minutes, we were on stage with the DJ. That's how much talking we did in this night, and it was awesome. And I remember just being like, well, you just use that technique super liberally, right? Like, get the bouncers' names so that we can go travel freely around whenever we're walking past like people with managers or owners and stuff like that using that sort of fake leverage. Like, And the other thing is, essentially, if you're doing the fake journalist thing, the fake social capital, either the names work really great because then it sounds like, oh, you have the name from like email communication maybe, not from necessarily just chatting. Or you can look these things up online, like who's in charge of promotions. So, I mean, one of the cool things about if you're in like some sort of like club-like environment and trying to get around where it's dark, Honestly, one of the coolest things is I've had this happen so many times. I almost think it's hilarious. Um, most people, when they give you wristbands or some sort of VIP access, right, they look at it in the dark. And so if it's pink, it looks purple. Or if it's purple, it looks blue. Like You can't even tell what fucking color it is. They just look like he has like a binary thing, something around his wrist in, right? It doesn't have to be the same color or have like, I remember one time they had like sparkly bands that said like the band's name on it or something. And I had a pink band on. Does you have a band? And I was like, oh, they're going to catch me. He's like, yeah, he has a band. Go in. And I was like, fucking really? Like, <laughs> Yeah, like, wow, how did that work? This is a My Little Pony band, and I'm at a Metallica concert. Yeah, when they have their little uh, uh, bouncer meeting or staff meeting or whatever, they say, okay, green bands are for blah, blah, blah. The sparkly bands for guests. The blah, blah, blahs for VIPs. And they don't fucking remember. And, and they just, no, you don't yeah, and half the time they'll just look. And so if you've got three of them on, they'll just be like, whatever <laughs> you know and then i'll also wear I'll, I'll often usually bring a name tag that goes around your neck and i'll usually wear a coat like some sort of suit jacket if i'm looking spiffy and i'll button the coat so they can see like the sides of it hanging out and they can see the lanyard around my neck but they can't see what the lanyard badge says right <laughs> I, I live next to south by southwest so i see it all the time but like if you just button up your suit jacket wear an old badge you can walk into most parties because they don't even check they just see like oh right. He has a badge like everyone else. It sort of looks like it. So, of course, it's the same. Nice. Yeah. I love this. Yeah. How does this thinking, I know a lot of people are like, this is so you know silly. I'm never going to crash a party. This skill is useful for much more than just crashing parties, though, right? Oh, the kind of mentality of always pushing is really useful. Negotiating your rent and stuff like that. Like every time I've ever been in an apartment, I'll always renegotiate my rent because they always, you know, they're always raised it or whatever. So I'll go up to the apartment manager and you always courteous, okay? Especially like if it's 99% occupancy in the building and they can replace your ass in four seconds, you have no leverage, okay? So what you do is you're like, hey, can you just tell the main management, like, you know, I've been a good resident, you mind if I uh, lower my rent? And they'll, of course, go through their whole like, you know, apartment manager thing of, here's the market rent and you're actually paying a lot lower. We could totally replace you, blah, blah, blah. And here's what I say, because I'm Indian, I could get away with this. You might have to make up something else for yourself. But uh, I always say, you know what? My Indianness 
like I'm like naturally cheap because I'm Indian and they always laugh because it's like a really un PC thing, but they know it's, it's they know it's true. They know it's kind of true. But <laughs> yeah. they can't say anything, so they had a sheepish laugh. I'm like, can we just write an email saying like I've lived in the building for a long time? Would it be cool if we make one exception? Like if we could just write that, like even if they say no, like I'd be so happy. And they're just like, okay, let's just type one up real quick. Like, hey, Neville Medora lives in this apartment. He's been a good resident. Would we mind keeping his rent the same for the next 12 months? Almost every single time, actually every single time it works or you'll get significantly discounted stuff just because you asked. And the thing is most people go away on the first no. And they think that if you're going to continue saying pushing, you have to be mean, but being mean is stupid. Like, why do you want to help a mean person? Like go fuck yourself. I don't want to help a mean person. I want to help a nice person that's being super courteous. He's asking for something, but he's not being mean about it. And so that's gone a long way in business in terms of getting deals, in terms of uh, just staying in the situation and kind of making it a little awkward almost sometimes, just letting them talk and just like maybe holding an awkward silence like this and mm-hmm. and then they'll break it with some sort of offer. It goes a long way with stuff like that for sure. That's interesting. And you know, even if there's a 99% occupancy and even if they can replace you in a second, landlords have a risk because they could replace you, but they need to show the unit that could result in a month of lower occupancy where in a city that's thousands of dollars, which is less probably than the amount you're going to save over the course of 12 months, or at least equal. That's in the best case scenario that they replace you with only like a two-week or a month-long gap. And the other thing that people never think about is if you've been a resident, you pay your rent on time, you don't trash the place, you have, you're have, you not running an Airbnb, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, every time they rent to a new tenant, there's risk. Is this guy going to break his lease? Uh, is this guy going to have parties? Is this guy going to run an Airbnb? Is this guy going to flood the place? Is he going to be screwing around and doing illegal activity in there? They know that you're not going to because you have a track record. That alone, it's like an insurance policy. And they just don't pay you for it because you're a well-behaved person. But if you ask for it, that plus the lowered risk plus the less uh, chance of low occupancy is so money for a landlord to just not worry about it. So... I don't mean this in a racist way, but usually white people in America don't bargain. And and the reason is clear. They don't. It's not racist. It's just a cultural difference. Yeah. So I had a roommate in college um, who was white and he like cool dude and everything. Very business savvy, but couldn't negotiate for his goddamn life. And we used to go to this pizza place all the time. Me and the other roommate would always ask for free refills of like Coca-Cola or whatever, you know, right? And the refills were 25 cents. And one day he went and we saw him paying. We're like, did you pay for a refill? Like, yeah, it says 25 cents up there on the board. And we're looking at him like, oh, you poor, naive little kid. <laughs> and, and we're just like, dude, I've never paid for a free refill. Like every time we come in, he's like, what? How? And he's just like, you just say, can I have a free refill? And he just could not bring himself to do it. Oh, my gosh. He couldn't, he couldn't do it. Like, he yeah. couldn't do it. And, and uh, just I think going to India since I was little gets you prepared that like, I mean, if you're buying a goddamn tomato, you have to bargain for it, you know? If you don't, then it's like it makes no sense. But in America, in a lot of ways, it's considered rude to do that. Or people think it might be considered rude, even if it wouldn't be. Yeah, well, it's I mean, if you ask nicely and just say, hey, can I get it for three dollars instead of three twenty five? A lot of times I'll just be like, "Uh, yeah, I mean, I used to do, you know, getting pizza at night after we're out a night or drinking or something. I'd always show my friends that I bet I could get two slices of pizza for $4 when normally it would probably cost like eight or something like that. And I would go up to the guy and be like, hey man, I've only got four bucks. I'd hold up like four ones or five or something. Like, you know, I only got four ones. Anyway, I could get like two slices of your crappiest pepperoni or something like that or your cheese. And they'll all be like kind of the same. He'll take the two smallest slices and give them to me. I'm like, oh, sweet. You know, they'd rather just take your money than like turn you away. Because the margins are enormous on something like that. Yeah, they're just like, okay, whatever, drunk guy number 8,000. Like, yeah, here's <laughs> here's your fucking pizza. And no one really asked that question. And sometimes I get turned away because the, maybe it's like a nice establishment that doesn't want to accept anything less than their asking price. Exactly. And they'll just say, no, but I can give you one slice of cheese. And I'm like, all right, this is still cheaper than 425. I got 25 whatever. You've got a deal. Exactly. There's also a point to where like how much you really want this and how much you want to push and like how much it's worth to you. So normally on the first try, they'll be like, whatever. We just want your fucking name. I don't care. Do you ever watch Impractical Jokers? Do you know that show? I'm familiar with that. I don't like watch it all the time. They they do that a lot in this show. There's like little pranks or whatever that they have to do. And one of them is they send them into like this yogurt place to get yogurt. 
it's always a contest between the guys, and they have to get the lowest amount possible. And sometimes they're they're making like really big scene out of it, of course. But they're going in there and they're like bargaining. And sometimes the people who work there are like, "Oh yeah, okay, I can give you this for for less if you don't have enough money." And they don't care. It's yogurt. Like they might not even have the authorization to do that, but they're not going to be like get out of here and throw this in the trash. They'll take your $5 instead of your seven. Yeah. I think some of those like YouTube prankers and stuff like that, that do stuff. It's kind of like, they're almost like annoying people and just making their job harder. And it's kind of like, yeah, they push it too far. And I'm like, you know, that's just being a douche to this guy. And then putting him on camera and then he looks like an asshole. Like that's mean, but in the real world, that's not how it works. Like they're just trying to push it to the top to get a reaction out of someone in the real world. It's just like, Hey man, you mind if I get, you know, 10% off? And so actually, you know, it's funny. Noah was making with, with AppSumo this like how to make your first thousand dollars course, right? And originally it was this product called the Sumo Business Blueprint that we showed people how to validate businesses. What we found when we held like private conferences with people was that there'd be like these like top level programmers that could like build amazon.com in two days if they wanted to. <laughs> but yeah, like, like programming wise, they're super smart. They were totally at the top. They would totally kill it as an entrepreneur that they can never become an entrepreneur. And here's the reason. They didn't have the balls to start anything. They would always overthink it. And so Noah was trying to find out a way to get people to do one small thing. I was just like, dude, this is the best one you've ever come up with. It's get a 10% discount on your coffee. And they made this into an app and everything too. And um, it was called the Failure Games or something. And it is weird how long it takes some people to build up the courage to go to their local Starbucks order the little Frappuccino that costs $4.20 and say, hey, can I have a 10% discount? For me, I'd be like, yeah, that's fucking what I do all the time. Anyway, I'm just like, do I get a discount with this card or whatever? It's no big deal. But for a lot of people, they just never have done it before and it scares the shit out of them. And until they get over that hurdle, it's really hard for them to put themselves out there. So then what happens when they finally build up the curve? Some people take weeks or months even. They'll go to the mall and they'll be like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm just going to blindly say, can I get can I get a 10% discount? And so one guy, it was funny because he took forever. He went to a mall, goes to Starbucks, orders coffee, goes, can I get a 10% discount? He's expecting to be like humiliated and shamed. And the lady goes, oh yeah, uh, do you work at the mall? And he just said, yes. And she's like, okay, here you go. And he realized that like, oh, people who work at the mall actually get like a 20% discount or something like that, right? And so she actually gave him more than a 10% discount because he quote unquote worked at the mall. That just blew his mind open that oh, you can ask people for things and it's not a big deal, right? Yeah, exactly. And so most people are afraid to sell, afraid to ask someone. I guess this translates into hitting on girls or whatever too. But they they just think like the worst is going to happen when in reality, like probably something very in the middle is going to happen or nothing at all, actually. Great. The fear of rejection, the imaginary consequences. Exactly. I'm sure, yeah, you guys cover that ad nauseum. Yeah, yeah, of course. And it's true. Successful people don't stop. They keep going when they think that they can make it and and even when they can't. So it's essentially kind of gamified for a lot of a lot of entrepreneurs. It becomes kind of a little pride point. I remember like crashing a party with and I was trying to get a bunch of friends in and we actually knew the person like throwing the party. So we were actually supposed to be in there and just whatever reason it just didn't work out. The guy had strict instructions to keep everyone out. Sure. We just tried, 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 didn't work. And my friends like as soon as the guy says no, they're like, okay, well let's go to another party. I'm like, chill the fuck out for one second. Like just stand around. You just be a wallflower. And I'll just keep saying stuff like, hey, you know, we know Jay, you know, here's his phone number on my phone. He's literally texting me right now. And the guy's like, I don't know, man, like uh, I uh, got instructions not to do it. And then like you hang out enough. And then finally the manager comes down. He's like, hey, I think these guys know Jay. And they're like, oh, Jay, oh yeah, yeah, come in. And all our friends get in. And they're just like, oh my God, how'd you get us in? It's just like, because I spent just two minutes just politely talking to the guy and explaining the situation. They were just fascinated that you can keep going after they say no to you, right? Yeah. Everyone thinks like, oh, you can't go to the party. Okay, let's go somewhere else. It's like, whoa, 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 chill. See if we can work something out. And normally you can. It's not a big deal. Excellent. Thanks. So wh- is there anything I haven't asked you that you definitely want to communicate to the audience? I think we covered a lot of stuff. I, I like, if you're going to crash a party, first find a party. But once you find that, uh, do the, the tuxedo or nice suit and uh, wine glass with a napkin wrapped around it and some wine in it, try walking in like that. That always totally works. Remember to get everyone's name, make an effort in your head to remember their first and last names and say hello to them frequently. Yeah. I mean, that's 
really it. And you can meet a lot of people with just a few little simple tricks like that. And for God's sake, use it to build your network. Forget the small potatoes of like, first, yeah, the first time you do it, oh my God, this is such a thrill. The second time you do it, wow, this is kind of cool. And the third time, if you do that and you're not meeting people that you're keeping in touch with, you're wasting your time. Because really, you should be making friends with people who go there. If they're like, yeah, how did you get invited to that? You know, after the party's over, you can say, honestly, I just walked in. But I'm glad I met you there. You guys are awesome. They're not going to care. You know what? I also got to add, I, I've, I guess I'm so far removed from this thought now that it doesn't matter. But a lot of people think that everyone's watching them. And I tell people, they're just like, you know, like they don't want to dance because they think people are watching them. They dance kind of awkward. You know, those people oh, are yeah. like, well, I don't know how to dance. It's just like fucking move. No one's looking at you. It's actually pretty goddamn conceited to think that everyone is looking at you. Please. If, especially if you're a guy, no one's fucking looking at you. Okay, let's just say that first off. If you're a girl, they'll glance at you. No one is paying attention to you. Everyone is too busy worrying about themselves. Like, how often have you seen some guy dancing kind of funny on the dance floor? Your, your only remark is, ha, and then you go on with your life. Like, you, you don't think like, let me get that guy's name and chastise him for the rest of my life. No, <laughs> all, you're, all you're doing, it, you, you look at him, he's like, hey, he's dancing funny, but he's dancing, whatever, he's having a fucking ball. So good for him. You don't think anything of it. Like nothing comes from that. No one is paying attention to you. And if you think everyone, you're self-conscious because everyone's paying attention to you, fuck you. <laughs> you're not that important. You're not that important. You're really not. And so unless you're the star of this show or whatever that's going on, no one is paying attention to you. So just remember that. And once you kind of let go of that fact, then you realize like everyone's too busy wrapped up in their own little world while they're at this party to pay attention to your dumbass, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just go have a good time and, and, and relax. No one's paying attention to you. Thanks so much, man. This has been really fun. As I told you, it was random, and I told you it was fun. Negotiating your rent and crashing parties, and of course, the networking and social benefits that come with that. I hope you guys dug this one. It's always fun. Long-awaited episode as well. And show feedback and guest suggestions. The show's a fanarchy. It's run by you, the fans. We rely on you to help keep our finger on the pulse. So if you know someone who's a good fit for the show, let us know, jordan at theartofcharm.com. And if you enjoy this, don't forget to thank Nev on Twitter. We'll have that linked up in the show notes as well. Bootcamp details at theartofcharm.com slash bootcamp. And if you're listening but you're not subscribed in iTunes or Stitcher or wherever else, that needs to change. Go ahead and do that. It helps our ranks. And of course, writing us a review helps our rank as well. And we have our iPhone and Android apps available for free to boot. Now, special thanks to the Jasons for their help in production of the Art of Charm podcast. Go ahead and tell your friends because the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to someone else, either in person or shared on the web. Now, have a great week and leave everything and everyone better than you found them. Thanks for listening to The Art of Charm. Get more confidence, relationship skills, life hacks, and everything for the extraordinary man at theartofcharmpodcast.com. 